1: It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans, after all, it's only pressure. You got this, Adidas.
0: It's never been easier to communicate with people.
2: Welcome to MLB Daily, your one-stop shop for daily baseball content. I am LJ Lafura Alongside me, I have Brandon. We'll punch you in the chin to everyone else's chagrin. I've got your picture. I'm coming with you. Dear Maria, count me in, Karam, and we are a belly up sports podcast. We are what they aren't. Brandon, how you doing?
1: LJ, you have redeemed yourself from yesterday. You said you were going to spend a lot of time today working on the intro. Uh, very impressive, once again. LJ, how are you doing?
2: I'm doing good. You know, fun day. Uh, didn't have any classes today. It was a rainy day, so I kind of just chilled in the building. Literally, my only my only meeting I had of the day was in the same building as my dorm. So was able to get some work done uh move through at my own pace it it felt really good
1: you certainly take those type of days for granted in college because in high school you get a lot of them where you're just like kind of going through the motions not a lot going on in every class college there's always something to do so you take those days for granted absolutely we also take it for granted because this is the freaking world series lj
2: yep we are back with game two of the 2021 World Series. And we've got another great matchup between the Astros and the Braves. Or at least not maybe not great, but similar matchup yesterday.
1: Yes, this game flow just felt extremely similar to the game I watched last night. Uh, let's get right into the recap, though. Game two of the 2021 World Series, Max Fried toe in the slab for Atlanta, taking on Jose Urquidy. In the bottom of the first inning, we get a Jose Altuve double to lead things off for Houston. Uh, Michael Brantley fly out that advances Altuve to third and then an Alex Bregman sacrifice fly. It is one to nothing Houston after the first top two, Travis Darnot solo home run to tie it up at one. Unfortunately, this would be some of the only offense that Atlanta would muster tonight, but in a tie game, Heading into the bottom of the second inning, Houston jumps on Max Freed. Kyle Tucker single, Yuli Gurriel single, Jose Siri single, Martin Maldonado single, and it is to 4-1 after a throwing error by left fielder Eddie Rosario. Later in the inning, we get a Michael Brantley single. It is 5-1 Astros, wide open at this point now, uh, and I mean, wow, LJ Astros don't do anything really special. Five singles in the inning, and they score four runs. I mean, just great pieces of hitting by this by this lineup tonight.
2: This is one of the best lineups in baseball. It always has been. It's like that. It's like that meme. Um, is this is this an elite offense? Always has been, and. You can't shut them down. You can't hold them to two runs for seven games, four games, any really amount of time. You have to be prepared for the Astros on every scope, in every sense of the uh, game, every facet of the game, to have amazing nights. They might not always have amazing nights, but when they're on, good luck because you could be in for rough stretches here um another guy in terms of guys who get on and get good and when they're good they're really good Jose or quiddy here five innings six hits two earned seven strikeouts it should as much as it's an it's a knock on the team the fact that you can kind of flip a coin or it's not a coin flips chance but like there's like a 40 percent chance that each starter in their rotation is going to underwhelm on an evening it feels like right now but at the same time when they are not underwhelming they're putting up crazy good performances so you can't really argue with that
1: no and the amazing thing about Jose Urquidy uh other than the Boston Red Sox start that or the start against the Red Sox he made October 18th so 10 days ago He's pitched one and two third innings in the last 24 days. And to just come out and go five innings, two earned runs with seven K, strikes out the side in the first inning. Uh wow. I mean, this guy looked really sharp. He's got the home crowd behind him, all the momentum, and I'm very, very impressed by him tonight. Uh you know. Not much more to say than that. He gave the Astros everything that they needed. He gets the run support. uh, And when he's got a lead, this guy, he had some nasty pitches. He's got a really nice fastball, breaking stuff that uh, moves a lot. And,
2: And it was all really working tonight, too.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, he's a guy, according to Baseball Savant, he's a four-pitch pitcher, fastball, slider, change-up, curveball. That change-up is filthy. I mean, it's same arm angle, same everything as the fastball, and it's got a lot of downward action on it. And uh, something he's done really well the whole season, LJ, is not walk anybody. No walks for him tonight. On the season, he went 100 And seven innings total. I don't know why it's not showing here. Went 107 innings total, and only walked a total of 19 batters. He just doesn't put guys on base. Very good control, and was really hitting the spots tonight. So very nice start. Amazing
2: how this rotation can give you such whiplash. Like let's assume is that great he's going to go, be able to go a little longer than he did in his last outing. If he does, then I can genuinely say that we're going to be in a situation where maybe half of this rotation is going to have a blow-up start in a cycle. The other half is going to have a great time. That just seems to be the way they work. And each of those guys, though, you look through that, Valdez, Garcia, um. Oh my gosh, this is horrible. And I'm like, <laughs> Jose Urquidy. Um, Zach Granke, I'm not sure how I forgot the guy we were literally just talking about. But each of them, when they are on, they're all able to eat you alive in very similar ways. I mean, Urquidy special in terms of that control, but it's just, it's fantastic to me. One thing that I did have a bit of an issue with here in this game though, the amount of use they gave uh, Christian Javier. Yeah. Brandon, did that make much sense to you? Because he ends up pitching an inning and a third, throws 27 pitches here. Now, in my head, especially seeing Zach Granke's just coming back from injury, you probably don't even want to truly use him more than once through the lineup. I kind of always assumed it was going to be a combo of Christian Javier and Zach Greinke in that game four. And I know he's got, well, will be two days rest between now and then, but I don't know. Yeah, just
1: really, pitches, He'll be fine.
2: I know, but I, I don't, I don't think that's necessarily a great risk to make though right now, because why, why do 30 pitches there when you do have room to play with too?
1: Well, I think the more questionable choice is, uh, why was Burkidi pulled with only 74 pitches? You know, sure, he works through five innings strong, but you still have a what, a 5-2 lead at that point. At least let him start the sixth. I, I mean, I, there wasn't anything indicating to me that he should get pulled. Um, I, I get the Christian Javier thing, and it's also like, you know, we kind of talked about this last night. It's like, all right, so if you don't use Christian Javier there, who, who do you bring in? I mean, Yimmy Garcia pitched last night. Um, Brooks Raley pitched last night. Maton pitched last night. Oda Rizzi gave them seven outs last night. Javier was kind of like the only guy that they trust or that they really have, I should say, to go well, in inning plus, I guess. I guess.
2: I think my question is, I don't think you need somebody to go in inning plus. You're right. He's the only guy. Him and Odorizzi are the only inning plus guys on this roster right now. But in my eyes, did you really need to? Because, well, for starters, you've still got Blake Taylor there. I can certainly get nine pitches out of Brooks Reilly last night is nothing. And Yimmy Garcia, I'm more than willing to bet, could have taken a back-to-back. So in my eyes, it makes more sense to funnel in as many short-inning, low-leverage guys right now just to keep everybody that's important or could be crucial to the series rested.
1: Well, let me finish up this game, recap real quick. 5-2 after... The fifth inning, the Braves score their second run on a Freddie Freeman uh, RBI single. Bottom six, Houston puts up another run thanks to a fielder's choice hit into by Yuli Guriel. There's an error on Ozzy Albies that allows a run to score. It's 6 2, Houston. In the seventh, they get another run off of a Jose Altuve solo homer. And LJ, you know, let's talk about this uh, Drew Smiley thing. So me and you both thought Smiley was gonna be like a potential spot start, maybe, right? Yeah. So they keep. So here's what I don't get: Jesse Chavez comes in, who's a lefty. Also, by the way, uh, by the way, uh, Jesse Chavez. Amazing that he finally was able to pitch in a World Series. Dude has been in the minors since 2003, finally makes up to the majors 2008. Uh, Awesome for him. So he's a, or excuse me, he's a righty. It doesn't even matter at this point. You bring him out for one batter, right? Yeah, one batter. And then you bring in Drew Smiley for the next inning. We both thought Smiley was going to maybe be the inning plus guy, not pitching when down three in this game. And I get that you you can't just throw the game, right? But Chavez has been good in this postseason. Like, I I've, I've liked what I've seen from him. And why he only came in for one batter is a little strange to me. I don't know. He Um, still hasn't allowed an earned run in the postseason, so.
2: Yeah, I think what this points to is that they are looking to do a full-on bullpen game for game four here and then flip it back over to Freed after that and just keep it at a three-man rotation for the series now that they don't have Charlie Morton. With that, is Jesse Chavez your opener? Yeah. Or your or two, two inning guy. That's the only reason I could think of that they would want to limit his um,
1: usage. He started a game against the Dodgers, so he can certainly be the opener.
2: But at the same time, three pitches and he's got two days rest.
1: Like, well, one day rest. Maybe they use him in game three.
2: True, 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 true. But yeah, I don't know. I just think that that is the very obvious way that they have to go now, because not only are you are we saying that Drew Smiley's off the board, but Kyle Wright's off the board as well. Who would have been the other the righty option to give you multiple innings and do that spot start? So
1: he only had twelve pitches too. It's just like I don't know. This is. Uh, uh. I really need to see how they plan this out because <laughs> this could oh, no. be I just this a is very a... good plan. If it works out, it just.
2: Yeah. And just honestly, confused. if they're, if they're just planning on doing a bullpen game, this works perfectly.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And I think that's honestly, that's the only thing we've learned tonight. That's the only thing we have to discuss tonight is they didn't take any of the, they didn't take any of these guys that we would consider to be longer inning guys. They didn't pull them from use right now. They didn't set them aside to make a start. So if they're all going to be fresh, but not like completely rested, then it's got to be a bullpen game.
1: Astros end up winning seven to two. Uh, Final line Astros, seven runs, nine hits, no errors. Atlanta, two runs, seven hits, two errors. The win to Jose Archidi, five innings, six hits, two earned runs, no walks, seven strikeouts. The one home run allowed to Travis Darnot in the second inning. The loss to Max Freed, five innings, seven hits, six earned, one walk, and six strikeouts. The series is now tied up one game apiece. Friday night in Atlanta will be game three as Luis Garcia for the Astros takes on another young right-hander in Ian Anderson and here's two guys who are potentially like the future of like I don't want to say the future but two very young up-and-coming pitchers here that could be is it bad to say Cy Young contenders? I mean, they they both shown that they have very elite stuff, and I know how hard it is to be, to be good consistently as a pitcher, but I have loved what I've seen from both of these guys across 2020 and 2021.
2: Yeah, honestly, I think this is the most likely – I think game three to me was more likely to be a tight matchup than game two was. Mm -hmm. and in this series we really could use it because as much as there have been highly entertaining plays, it hasn't been tight. There hasn't felt like there was a ton of pressure in late innings yet. Now, also another thing I want to bring up here is I'm interested to see what the umpire scorecard is going to look like for this game. Um, I don't have any particular qualms with any – calls but it should be mentioned that in the 6-2 Braves victory it was a lot better for the Braves than just 6-2 to two, as Houston ended up getting a plus 1.62 runs on this game which again needs to be taken with a grain of salt all of those numbers I don't buy into them that much I'm not gonna if I'm if I if it was the Red Sox in there I'm not gonna scream at the top of my lungs that we got robbed of the game and this is like a a travesty on the sport, but it should be noted that things went that way. It also should be noted that the Braves have been favored by the refs. I believe I saw this somewhere. The Braves have been favored by the refs in games this postseason one time during the world series and they have been the dog by the rough, the uh, umpire calls in all but one game.
1: What I also, I think is extremely interesting. Um, LJ, do you happen to know who it was behind the plate tonight? Because I do. I don't know if you I saw do it. Not. It was Ron Culpa. Um, Ron Culpa, you go to umpscorecard.com. In terms of accuracy, had the second worst in the majors this year. And he also had the worst called game in the majors this year. Why is this guy on a World Series ump crew? I need explanations. Why? What logic? Because you can't tell me the MLB doesn't have this data. What, like, what could possibly, uh, like, I'm at a loss for words here, LJ. Why? Why? The guy who was the second worst at calling balls and strikes this year gets to ump game two of the World Series behind the plate.
2: This, um, the thing is, I'm not even sure how it gets fixed.
1: You just, What's here, here's how be- you fix it. You take the best six umps from the regular season, and that's your World Series crew.
2: Oh, I know, but it's you- not... It's not that easy. Because all of that has to come through bargaining with the umpires association.
1: Oh yeah, I forgot that they're unionized. Oh
2: like you can't just you can't just change what you're doing. And what is going to get the MLB doesn't really want to have to fight this fight them, especially if ratings keep getting better. We should keep in mind that this is the best ratings, I believe, in a couple years that the uh, World Series has had. So the the MLB isn't being hurt by the umpiring decisions. If anything, they're getting more press because of poor umping decisions. While it's not good for the game, it's slightly benefiting them. And more importantly, they don't have to haggle with the umpires association. They can keep the peace there. So I guess... I don't see a path in which things get so egregious that the MLB has to step in and change, force the umpires association to change things.
1: No, that's that's a good point. Um, I just seen a lot of chatter online about it, just how.
2: Oh, I agree with it. It's just not likely that they'll be able to work with Bill Miller and that group for it.
1: I'm, I just found a game this year where. The Yankees lost two nothing, but they got plus two point six three runs of favor from an umpire. That was the Logan Gilbert uh, shutting us down start, and
2: Gilbert start.
1: Yeah, wow,
2: that brings you back, huh? Oh,
1: it does. It it does. Um, the Yankees
2: managed to have negative runs in a game.
1: Yeah. We we somehow. <laughs> um, Yeah, That that's it for World Series game two. Congrats to Houston. LJ, my prediction was wrong. I texted you. I said I thought that this World Series was going to be like the 2019 World Series in which the road team wins every single game. Uh, yeah, but
2: like that was also absolute blasphemy because that insinuates the fact that they're gonna lose an Ian Anderson start. They're not losing no Ian Anderson starts here, buddy.
1: And but then you miss my point where when he's pitching because he will he would be the game seven starter if you have free yes, going, if you have free going game five it's Anderson for game seven in Houston. That would mean that he's winning game seven, and if you lose game three, all that matters is that you win game seven. So
2: yes, but what I'm saying here is, I think it's a little blasphemous of you to even insinuate that he would lose one game. As far as I'm concerned, I don't care if they drop other games. He's winning both. All power to Ian Anderson. All
1: right. Um, We have a few other things we want to touch on. Um LJ, Miguel Rojas. We actually have some contract news coming out here, which surprised that we're getting contracts signed prior to the CBA. Cause you know, this could just, become a can of worms for especially the Miami Marlins, who are probably going to be forced to spend money. Um, They extend Miguel Rojas through 2023. They agree to a two-year, $10 million contract. Um, And good for them. Uh, Good for both sides. Rojas is a real solid player. He was their leadoff hitter for most of this season, and um, he really saw, you know, he had a really, really good 2020 season. His stats did regress in 2021, but he's he's real solid in the field. I mean, for the 93 OPS plus he put up, he put up one war, defensively two and a half total war i mean that's a starting player that's a solid player and to get him for five million a year for the next two years is uh a great extension for miami you know it keeps that kind of culture there in the clubhouse uh he does a lot of media appearances rojas does with john boy media chris rose rotation podcast all that kind of stuff so to see him stay with a team that he's been with since 2014 is, is awesome.
2: Yeah, it's just a great deal for both sides. I, I also want to touch on that you, you saying uh, about the Marlins have, might, have a, might have to spend money stuff. I don't think they would honestly mind that. Look, of all of the low payroll teams in the league right now, I feel most comfortable with the Marlins being that way because they're the only ones who genuinely feel like they have a plan based around that. Other than just, okay, we're going to keep our payroll as low as possible.
1: Maybe Baltimore. Maybe Baltimore.
2: Oh, all right. Maybe that's because I don't have any faith in them being able to develop a pitching staff that I don't see any future for them either way. Right. So, but like with Miami, you can see the pro, you've seen the progress. You've seen them make good moves, but at the same time, until their team is actually primed and ready to move into that next phase, why would they want to spend the lavish amounts on guys?
1: No, uh, you're yeah. Why wouldn't
2: they want to get these guys in? And I also firmly believe that Starling Marte is probably back in a Mar- Marlins uniform next year if they wow. had if they hadn't gotten a really good deal. Like you're telling me, you're going to get a young. Not, or he's technically, I don't think he's technically a prop you can call a prospect anymore, but a first or second year starting pitcher with a lot of promise. In uh, they got Jesus Lazardo in that, right? Yeah, yeah. If you can get Jesus Lazardo for a guy that you cannot guarantee you're going to be able to get back, and you're also going to have to spend quite a bit, why wouldn't you make that deal? But if they didn't find a deal that Looks good to them. You wouldn't shock me at all if he was back.
1: No, that's that's a great point. And they're
2: they're they're doing low payroll with a purpose, unlike most teams.
1: I think a lot of people haven't been bringing up Starling Marte's name in the free agency talk. Another guy, Eddie Rosario. I mean, he's a free agent after this year. He signed a one-year deal prior to the season. How many teams are going to be in on him? How many teams are going to be in on Chris Taylor? There's so many different names that everyone's so up in arms about this starting pitching class and this shortstop class. Overall, this free agency class is much stronger, in my opinion, than what we saw last year.
2: And none of them are going to sign anything before May.
1: No. <laughs> oh, come on. I-, I hope we have baseball on opening day. Please, please.
2: The closer I get to it, the less confident I feel.
1: We will do plenty of CBA podcasts, I'm sure. So let's let's save that for now. Um, second piece of news: the this came out a few days ago, but we've been pretty busy on the show. Go check out our MVP talk from last night. Went through our NL MVP ballot. But the St. Louis Cardinals have hired a new manager. Oliver Marmel will be the new manager. Uh, he was their bench coach this past season. And <laughs> Ollie. And uh sorry, inside joke. Um uh, Oliver Marmol, St. Louis Cardinals bench coach this last season. Uh I mean, I like it if I will never look if you're hiring internally, clearly you like um, what this guy has brought to the organization. And uh, I will never really get mad at an internal hire. Honestly. I mean, he, he knows this group of guys as in terms of guys who you could have went out and signed for managers is is, no no (laughs) no lj i mean i i really think that this is a good move i mean if 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 we we see so much now all the manager is is just a yes man to the front office uh mike Schill did not want to do that
2: yeah can i can i jump in here because that's where my take is and that's why i hate this hire um I'm going to, I'm going to roast this guy to the end of his days as manager because of how obvious this looks. The only reason I would possibly like this is because it shows how right I am, how right we were with all of this. There is a huge divide in baseball between the teams that get a manager for his ability to manage and the, the teams that get a manager for their ability to manage. And We started to kind of figure that out before the hire came through. And then to bring Ali up as the manager for this group just confirms it. You, You literally just fired a really good manager because he wanted to be able to manage the club and then just brought in your own whipping boy. And you couldn't have a more obvious whipping boy than just throwing the bench coach in there because he's agreed to keep his mouth shut and do what you say.
1: No, I, no. I, can't,
2: I can't stand this type of management. I think there are multiple teams in the league that are suffering mightily, talented teams that are suffering mightily because of this. Tampa, New York, Philadelphia, and it just... Oh, no, Girardi's
1: not a yes man. I can, I can guarantee that.
2: No, Brandon...
1: You're telling me the analytics were telling him to keep Zach Wheeler in the game just to let his arm fall. I didn't
2: didn't say everyone had the same analytics, but you see what Gabe Kapler does this year after how feeble things were in Philly. If they are, maybe if they weren't a, a yes team this year, they were before. If they weren't a yes man team this year, they were, they were before this year. And honestly, that might've been the switch. Because it's not like he was using guys in inane ways during the 60-game season and such like that. And what what has it been, two years or three years there for Girardi? Uh,
1: Since 2020. So two years.
2: Yeah. It didn't seem like it was like that last year. So perhaps that was a switch in terms of the hierarchy structure of the team. But I still –
1: They also got a new GM, remember, this offseason. So that's a good part.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You look at what gave the difference in the management ability in our viewing of Gabe Kapler's management ability between his Philly tenure and his San Francisco tenure, it's night and day. We see the Yankees get nipped in the bud every single night by this. You see the Rays get nipped in the bud every single time that they're in a crucial situation, they manage to fall short because of this. And I'm, I, I can't get behind it. I just can't watching all of this, knowing everything that we know, I can't get behind this path that the Cardinals are going down.
1: Uh, yeah. I mean, unfortunately, the thing is, is that as time goes on, Teams are going to start hiring younger and younger managers, which means there's only going to be more of this, unfortunately.
2: I am not an Ali Marble fan. I'm sorry.
1: Now, LJ, question. Was your JV baseball coach, Ali, a – No way. When it came to the front office?
2: (laughs) The front office had no control over him. He was his own independent body. As much as a JV – JV can be an independent body.
1: You mean how he he had two 10th graders just absolutely bully him every game?
2: (laughs) Well, actually, no, that's a good good point. Are you saying the school is the front office, or are you saying the uh, players are the front office?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I mean, you were on the team, so you can certainly speak speak to that a lot better than I can.
2: Look, my... baseball coach, Ali, great guy, knew his stuff. Certainly, certainly a good coach. This one is not going to be Ali Marmel. No bueno.
1: You know, LJ, and it's interesting because you bring up the Yankees and, you know, everyone who wanted Aaron Boone to be fired. What if I told you he's in the top 10 all time in win percentage as a manager, Aaron Boone? Like that's crazy. That's crazy. And this team is supposed to go to the world
2: series 15 out of the next 10 years. Okay. But the ALC s once that, that's the, uh, overall my point is it's not getting the job. This system is not getting the job done. (laughs) I don't care about regular season win percentage. The Yankees, if you're the Yankees, you're the Yankees. I'll stop repeating that sentence, but you get what my point was with all of those repetitions. You're trying to do this great race to 28 um, BS that you've got going on. Why are you caring about win percentage? It's about rings. It should be about rings. When you had that roster, it should have been about rings, not win percentage. And so as much as this system is producing a high win percentage, it is not producing World Series championships.
1: It's also... I mean I've said a multiple also not
2: years. producing division titles either. So let's the keep The Playoffs out. comes
1: down to a lot of luck and a lot of people don't but it's
2: not producing division. T- hasn't this hasn't he only won? Yeah, he's only won one division title.
1: Yeah, 2019. Yeah. It's okay. Just saying. Um that's all we have for news. Let's yep. get into some postmortems.
2: Postmortem. Are you feeling post-mortem tonight, Brandon?
1: Sure. Why not? And let's start with the team that won the most games in the regular season this year, the San Francisco Giants. Um, By far the team that exceeded their uh, expectation prior to the season. Out of, like, they exceeded the most out of any team. That's for sure. Yes. Yes. Because I'm looking at the pr- our preseason over unders here. Let me pull it up. I think I took their under, and it was not a lot of not a lot of games. Um, here's our season primer document.
2: No way you took the under because we were pretty high. On I took the- over
1: seventy-five and a half wins, and they had a hundred and eight, which means
2: all right. Yeah, they I don't defeated know. They're their
1: ten I- total by thirty-two.
2: I think I'm pushing them down in terms of being the biggest thing just because they did lose in the DS. But this is absolutely amazing to be the first hundred win team in what two decades for the giants, at least
1: long time. Um, First hundred win team since 2003, where they won exactly a hundred.
2: So yeah. So what, what was, is this their best record ever? yes um yeah all right yeah you're right this is easily the biggest exceeding of expectations in a year where a lot of teams exceeded expectations so that that makes it even more of props and a lot of props need to go to management to but also to all of these veterans maybe even not just veterans but like prime players that are that were stepping up above what anyone expected them to be like so many guys needed to get in line for this to be successful and all of them did
1: it's it's really amazing what this team put together let's not even talk about uh Chris Bryant getting traded for at the deadline because Farhan Zaheidi is another GM that needs a lot more credit than he gets for that move that he pulled off. But just the internal improvement on this team. Uh, you signed Tommy Listella in the offseason, who pretty much no one talked about it. I knew that he was going to be good. Dude is solid. He can play multiple spots in the field. Great leadoff hitter. You get Brandon Crawford's best season of his entire career. You get a little bit of a resurgence from Evan Longoria in the games you have him. Mikey Yaz. sure was he the the best this year? No, but he's also like a solid outfielder. And then the pitching. I mean, Logan Webb, uh, Kevin Gaussman. You can just go... On and on with these guys. I'm sure I'm missing someone.
2: Can I I go on and on about a couple guys here? Because
1: you, um, yeah, you can go for it.
2: Already touched on for starters, Evan Longoria did more than a little bit of a resurgence during the time he was truly healthy. If he's healthy, he, if he's healthy, I think he is maybe not top 10, but like if you had a ballot of 15 to 20, he makes that for MVP. The way he was playing through the first couple months of that season before everything bodily started to go downhill, that goes there. But I think the one that really speaks out to me is Mikey Stremsky, and then Kevin Gosman. Mikey has this was your MVP vote recipient, Mikey has last year. This was this was the best player on your team. He has a seven sixty-eight. OPS with 25 home runs this year. Not one of the bottom half hitters on this team, you could probably say, over the course of the year. And yet this team still manages to win 107 games without the guy that went into the year as the team's best player. That's crazy. What's also crazy is Kevin Gossman coming in here on a qualifying offer and decides to put up the best season of his career without a doubt and before a slump to end the year, was a Cy Young candidate. That's also crazy. It's just – it's wild shifts in the positive for guys this year. Wild shift back into relevancy for Brandon Crawford. Wild shifts for Evan Longoria. Wild shift for Kevin Gosman.
1: Yeah, and you look at the bullpen between – uh, Dominic Leone, Zach Little, Jose Alvarez, Harlan Garcia, Tyler Rogers, Jake McGee. They all appear in at least 57 games. Not a single one of them had an ERA plus under a 141. So think about how many appearances that you're lumping in. there. That's like a few hundred appearances. And they were all very much above average in terms of run prevention. That's why their bullpen had the best ERA, best whip, best walks per nine. Their starting pitchers, third best ERA, third best whip, second best walks per nine. Just a very well-balanced team. And like I said earlier, they just got unlucky, I think, in the playoffs. That's what it came down to. They had to run into a juggernaut Dodgers team. Did they almost beat? This went to a five-game series in the Dodgers' score in the top of the ninth, of course, in that game five. Uh, just an unbelievable season for the Giants, and they just low-key, I'm just saying, they, I think they just got a little unlucky. and
2: They got more than a little unlucky, Brandon. We can't forget how that game ended as well.
1: Yeah, <laughs> the check swing, that's right.
2: They kind of got screwed at the end of the season. So, yeah, this team did everything right they possibly could this year. And, again, I still stand by no one beats this group in a seven-game series. No one beats them through seven games. They're too good.
1: All right. um, Because we're doing the Red Sox next and we said – We forgot. Well, I'm – surprised and disappointment.
2: um, Yeah, because we're doing the Red
1: Sox next – I'll take the positive and the, the, the disappointment. Cause we said, we're just going to do one. We just, one of us mentions it. And then if you have any pushback, feel free.
2: Okay. Are you sure you don't want to do one of each? Cause I really only care to do the Red Sox disappointment.
1: Sure. Okay. Yeah, sure. Um. All right.
2: I'll take the positive.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, Who's positive?
2: Can not be Gabe Kapler? sure we talked about him a lot so i'm not going to actually do yeah, that you but can go for we it all, we all know how he did um i also don't want to sound like a brand record a broken record but i'm going to be a broken record because of how long our show was yesterday this is also probably a good opportunity to mention that friday's upload will be a re-upload of the mvp portion of yesterday's show for anybody who did not get all the way through that we understand how long it was it wasn't anticipated to be nearly as long as it ended up being in the first half that kind of pushed everything back to the second half. And we weren't going to cut corners on the MVP. It was too important, but Brandon Crawford, Brandon, what if I told you that one of the leaders on a veteran team that defied the odds decided to come back and have the best season of his career? By far. I think it's very, very clear to say that. It is easily the best defensive year, I can say, in the last four to five years for Brandon Crawford. Brandon Crawford, who is a renowned defensive shortstop and his best offensive season ever across his career. He ends up slashing 298, 373, 522 on the season. This guy was a monster, and this guy embodies everything that this team was.
1: Um. I agree. You could also go with uh, Brandon Belt, twenty-nine homers in ninety-seven games, one hundred and sixty OPS plus when he was healthy. That dude's a tank. Um, Camilo Doval. Camilo Doval, Tyler Rogers, Jake McGee, really anyone out of that bullpen too. Um, as for a disappointment, like I feel bad because I'm like <laughs> I'm going to be picking someone who really didn't have a bad season. Do I go with, with like, Alex Dickerson? Like, no. Like, who, who do I even pick here? Oh, no, it's Johnny Cueto. It's Johnny Cueto, I think. LJ, unless there's someone more obvious. Um,
2: I guess he's, like, the only option. But, like, at the same time, he was hurt for a lot of it. So, like, his produ- it, his numbers are disappointing, but it's not his fault that his numbers are disappointing.
1: Who would you take here? I um,
2: I, I think – you could go with any of those guys.
1: I guess I'll take Alex Dickerson. Um, 111 games, puts up a negative 0.1 war, uh, 95 OPS plus, which really isn't that bad, but 233 batting average, 304 on base percentage. Um, And from what he did in 2020 and on the Giants in 2019, or really his full 2019 season, Uh, Just kind of a step down from what we're used to seeing from offensive production from him. Uh, Still not a terrible season though, whatsoever. All right, Boston.
2: Boston. Um, Yeah, look, fantastic season. Fantastic ride. Look, I think everyone expected this team to step up a little more than they had last year in that abysmal year, particularly the offense. But no one expected this, no one expected the energy around this team to be so strong, to be so confident, to want to go out there and just, you know, flip over tables to completely upset the apple cart in the way that they, it felt like they did the majority of the season. I mean, they, they certainly weren't on the same level as the Giants, but Giants light. Would that be semi fair in terms of the way that they just kind of, no one was counting them into relevancy, going into the year, but they, but they made that happen throughout the entire season. If you take out, if you take it honestly though, if you take out August, they're a hundred win team.
1: If you take out one of the six months of the year, yeah, they're a hundred win team. Sure. No,
2: no, no what I'm saying, like that 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 was such a disastrous blow up in August from this team looked so uncharacteristic for the rest of what you saw out of the season from them that if they had played that as just a normal amount of down season, that's probably a hundred wins.
1: If they you could think easily April out of the Yankees season, they're a hundred win team. So.
2: No, but I'm saying my point being, they weren't that far off from being great.
1: Oh yeah. No, no that's, that's absolutely right. Um,
2: and I I'll, just to touch on one more thing. How the cities responded to it. And, you know, it's remarkable because I don't feel like you see this often. You get, you see thank yous to fans, but the Red Sox one on their social media was genuinely like, you kind of felt it. And from everything you hear, more and more guys keep coming out and talking about the environment during September and October. This team's personality their spirit, whether it's Kike Hernandez, whether it's Hunter Renfro, whether it's Verdugo, Bogarts, all of these guys that have, that make this team what it is, the city really responded to. They came out in droves and they came out passionately to end the season. That's what made it so special from everything I've heard for a lot of these guys in this team.
1: LJ, in terms of players I was impressed with, there's two answers. There's one hitter and there's one pitcher. The hitter is 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 a Kike Hernandez. The pitcher is Garrett Whitlock.
2: Garrett, Yankees spitting his eye, Whitlock. Said he was no good.
1: LJ, and you agree that because uh because uh Kike Hernandez does lead this team in war, just so you know that. Uh yeah. Both very impressive this year. Watching a uh, Garrett Whitlock just go crazy in his debut season is, yeah. Yankees could have protected him in the Rule Five draft, but it's okay. Who's thought, the disappointment, LJ? Unless you have thoughts on that,
2: uh, I do because I'd like to once again remind the world that it is BS that Garrett Whitlock is not in the top four in terms of Rookie of the Year odds. If he doesn't make top three, I will flip tables.
0: Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky.
2: Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office.
0: O'Reilly Auto Parts specializes in keeping your car on the road. Not sure how much life is left in your battery? Our professional parts people will test it for free. If it does need to be replaced, we'll help you find just the right one to fit your car. Our superstar batteries are built to handle even the toughest conditions. Visit O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oak 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 O'Reilly
1: Auto Parts. A lot of flipping tables.
2: There's a lot of flipping tables. I'm ready to flip tables right now. Um, and I will, if he doesn't make a top three. I will flip a table live on podcast. Um, but, you yeah, know, another thing that I should also mention, a little more props to Xander Bogarts, another clinical year. If he wasn't hurt for literally the entire back half of the season in some way or another, he's making MVP lists. But my disappointment... Matt Barnes, the hell you doing, but
1: Really just the entire high, high leverage Red Sox?
2: No, 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 just Matt Barnes. No, because I need to know. I need to know right now exactly what compelled this man to go from probably the best reliever or the second best closer in the American League over the first one, two, three, four months of the season to having a 13.50 ERA in August. The dude forgot how to pitch after the break, and I don't understand it whatsoever. This is one of the most ridiculous collapses ever. Look, I think it's been proven at this point that Matt Barnes probably isn't, a closer, but he can still be a really, really good eighth inning guy. He has great stuff for it. I still believe in the talent that's there, but he needs to right the ship to start next year or things could go for his mental game, for his, the way he's viewed in the city, which makes it even harder to turn things around. I think when you lose the city, he needs to come back really strong to start next year or else everyone's going to start looking at that 9 million over, 9 million a year over the next 2 years and it's going to it's going to make the team look like idiots for paying a guy who has a lot of talent and was showing a lot of talent when they paid him. I cannot I can't get mad at that contra, at that extension extending him at all because of just how great he was pitching. How good he does normally pitch. If he doesn't right the ship then there could be huge PR issues from
1: this. One time I saw Matt Barnes pitched at a game I went to this year, he blew the save against the Yankees. So if that needs any, helps your case. But you guys won the game, so that doesn't really matter. But he did blow the save. Just saying. All right, um, yeah, last one, we have the Los Angeles Dodgers. Okay, um, about what we expected in terms of the regular season record, I took over 102 and a half wins. They went 107, and, or 106, excuse me. And let's not forget that out of those 106 wins, They only had their big-time free agent signing Trevor Bauer for like up until June, some – yeah, some point in June. Um, And the team is still dominant. Uh, Then they're like, yeah, let's go trade for Danny Duffy who lit it up in April, and he's never going to pitch a game for us after we trade for him. Uh, yeah, let's also just go trade for Max Scherzer and trade Turner because why not? Um, we're the Dodgers. We have broken baseball in terms of roster construction. We will spend more than any team. We have a crazy farm system. We're not afraid to unload. And um, they lose a Dustin May in May due to Tommy John surgery. Just – an absolutely juggernaut of a team that they put together this year and they fall short in the NLCS. The injuries did start to build up for them, but they just couldn't get the starting pitching where they wanted it to be in some of those games. And that's what ends up what end up uh, hurting them. But overall, Dodger fans. You know, LJ, I mean, you had this conversation a few episodes back where you think the Dodger dynasty is over, and it might be
2: over. Not exactly what I I said, but close. They will never be as feared as they are right now. They're still going to be a 100-win team, but you're not going to – or at least they'll they'll be a 95-win team, but you're not going to look at them the way that you looked at them this year no one ever felt comfortable playing this team at any point in the game with any amount of lead this year. I don't think that can, I don't think that's sustainable with the rules that we foresee coming into the, minor, the modern game.
1: Yeah. And especially with all the free agents they have this off season, Scherzer, Seeger, Kershaw, Chris Taylor, Kenley Jansen, Corey Kniebel, uh, A lot of guys. Especially
2: especially when you consider the nice little case studies each of those guys have encouraging them to leave L.A. You're looking at guys like Kike Hernandez and Jock Peterson who are becoming household names now that they're able to get into lineups regularly on other teams and they're getting paid handsomely for it. They're playing better for it. Is it fair to say that Kike Hernandez probably could have been doing what he was, what he did in Boston this year, or I mean, not, certainly not what he was doing in the playoffs. That was just him hitting another level, but having almost as good a year on the Dodgers if he was given the same amount of innings and at bats.
1: No, that's fair. I mean, there I, there just wasn't a spot for him on the team. Chris Taylor just took his spot. And
2: there's a there's a spot for everyone and no one on the Dodgers, honestly.
1: It's it's crazy what they've done with roster construction.
2: Yeah, so I just, I just don't see how if you're some of those guys, unless you're like one of the top three or four guys, how it doesn't benefit you to go look elsewhere if you can get comparable money. And if the Dodgers are going to do what they did with Justin Turner and just say, we need you, what do you want? And basically hand him a of check to say, what do we need to get you to not go over there and to come back here? unless you get that type of deal from L.A., which they can only give so many out, I don't care how much you spend or are willing to spend, you can only give so many of those types of deals out, then they're going to have to go somewhere else. They're going to want to go somewhere else where they can get noticed, where they can get paid. Every Everything comes back to money, and exposure is money as far as I'm concerned.
1: L.J., my standout player and it, it's like a little unorthodox, but I'm gonna like it's pretty obvious. Like Walker Buehler. one, oh. no, then, I'm not gonna say uh, one Bellinger, of the guys who's already established and as a stud, which is I think
2: Cody Bellinger, not Walker Buehler. I totally whiffed on that joke.
1: <laughs> um, so basically, prior to me saying this player's name, just know here at Syracuse when we're watching sports games in our lounge,
2: Lord. <laughs>
1: If you have a hot take, you stand up on the chair and you announce it to everybody. Well, LJ, obviously, you guys can't see this, but I'll have LJ commentate what I'm doing here.
2: Leaning up. He's not fixing his thing, so I can now only see his waist down. He's fixing his pants. He's now crawling across the table to try to fix his camera to get the angle. All right, we now have his full bot his full upper half in view as he fixes his flannel over hoodie. I did not realize we are to that part of the fall season yet, but apparently oh. we.
1: All right. Hot take.
2: Hot take as he fills with his. hoodie strings cracks his knuckles before he delivers.
1: The Will Smith. I... Will Smith is the best catcher in baseball.
2: Oh. Oh.
1: That I, want you not to go where I
2: thought you were going with that.
1: I want you to go look at this man's stats because since he's come into the league he's done nothing but rake. Uh, I genuinely don't think you can put real muto over the guy anymore. And I love real muto and he's a fantastic player, but in terms of hitting Holy crap, this guy is insane. Just nuts. 130 games, he catches 117 of them. 25 homers, 365 on base percentage, 130 OPS. All three of those are better than like some of the players I put in my top 10 on my MVP ballot yesterday. It's what he's done is is Crazy. It's crazy from from a catcher standpoint, and he's 26 years old. He's the best catcher in the league, LJ, and will get paid very nicely when he hits free agency in a few years.
2: You know, this is a very interesting take. I think I would need to do more of a deep dive defensively on Will Smith before I would fully agree with this opinion, but I absolutely – 110% one hundred and ten percent see where you're coming from. This incredibly valid, very hot, especially seeing I was like ninety-nine point nine 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 percent certain that you were about to mention Bruce Dark Ratterall.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I no, you know he had a, he had an all right year. He, it it was nothing crazy, nothing so crazy.
2: crazy. Quite the bait and switch there, because over the last two weeks, you have mentioned how you've shown the entirety of the university of syracuse bruised our are all throwing in a very similar way that you started that spiel about getting up on a chair so i 100 percent thought that was exactly where you were going again but yeah no this is this is a good take that wasn't where i thought you were going um i'm not going to go as outside the box because the biggest disappointment is too obvious to not go with yeah <laughs> what the hell happened to cody bellinger
1: Hey, he stepped up when, when they uh, needed him in the playoffs. So don't
2: save all of your meaningful hits for the postseason. Get him go, get him cooking a little earlier than that. I remember back to April when he first what did he do break his leg or whatever? Um,
1: I just don't think he broke his leg and then came back in the same.
2: No, what do have? Oh tell me it's something close to that. I swear. Mark my words.
1: Let's see what it will. Hold on. Wait. I need to see this. I need to see exactly what it was.
2: I swear it was like a hairline fracture or something.
1: Surgery for, uh, where is it?
2: This is all about his oh, rib last month. He
1: suffered another serious injury while colliding with a pitcher. He had a hairline. Okay, no, you're right. Hairline fracture in his left fibula.
2: He was right.
1: So he, he did pitch. leg. <laughs> hairline fracture it's this this was no charlie Morin here this was no this is no charlie Morin.
2: i'm sorry breaks and fractures it, it broke the bone it didn't break it all the way but it broke the bone it's the same thing yeah. the dude freaking broke his leg and they're like yeah he'll be back next month and i will i remember clearly both of us agreeing in april that we were not concerned by this injury at all
1: yeah.
2: to <laughs> come back and continue to be the MVP he looked like to the start of the season, the MVP candidate he looked like for the last three seasons. Nope. That didn't happen. And honestly, this just – I have to give some props to Dave Roberts here for sticking with him. It would have been very easy to send him down or move him out onto the bench in exchange for somebody like, I don't know, Chris Taylor, who's about to make bank on the open market this year. You could have honestly put anyone in with this lineup that you wanted other than Cody Bellinger, and yet he stuck with him. He moved him down, and he just he rode with it because he trusted that this guy was going to figure it out or at least come up when they needed him to, and wouldn't you know it, he did really good postseason after a terrible season.
1: Yeah. uh, LJ, believe it or not, he had 87 games this year where he was either hitting or started 72 games where he was either the number eight or number nine hitter in the lineup this year. It's nuts. nuts.
2: Keep in mind.
1: Actually, I got that number wrong. It's still a lot five and five and down it's 72 games started
2: i'm not sure what the total is for this postseason but let me just read you his slash lines for each series goes two for four so five 500, 500 batting 750 on base 500 slugging for eight uh, 1250 ops in the wild card game that's a little off because you know it's just a one game 267 267 333 against the giants Not good. But then he rebounds again with a 412, 500, 588 six-game series against Atlanta. That is a very good postseason. It's not the best postseason, but it's a really good postseason.
1: And against the Giants, he had some very big hits as well. Hmm. Um, Game five, I mean, he comes up with the series-winning hit, basically. So uh, he got the hits when it mattered, just not in the regular season, but – Thank God he had a team of superstars around him to carry him to the playoffs. LJ?
2: So he could do what he does best. I am
1: not worried about Cody Bellinger for 2020.
2: <laughs> no, I'm not I'm not worried about Cody Bellinger's team losing.
1: Hot take. Whether, whether, that's,
2: whether that's because of, oh, do I need to stand on the chair for that?
1: No. No. <laughs> <laughs> Ah. oh boy All right. oh, well then thanks for listening we will see you we'll be recording Friday night after game three of the world series tomorrow's upload will just be the RMVP talk from yesterday's episode check that out yeah Thanks for sticking with us the whole year. We'll see you Friday.
2: See you manana. Lucky Land Casino
0: asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky?
2: Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Haha, in my dentist's office.